Attention podcast listeners. This episode of Idle Thumbs contains discussion of Metal Gear Solid V, The Phantom Pain. Um, it's true. It's true. There are, we mentioned that there is this game that exists and that we played it and we talk about playing it. Uh, I don't personally consider anything that we talked about spoilers, in part because we don't get into very specific story details and also because we really only talk about the first several hours of the game, which in the case of this game is like a very tiny percentage of it. But if you are the kind of person who is extremely sensitive to uh, this kind of thing, and I know that when it comes to this particular series, that is that is more common than with some. If you're going to be bothered by any like minute experiential detail told to you before you've gotten to see it yourself, uh, you can consider skipping to 39 minutes and 30 seconds and, uh, and, and then you will be preserved. Yeah. I would say though, if you're on the fence about either Metal Gear Solid five itself or listening to this discussion uh, as someone who did not know a whole lot about the game and who hasn't been following it, I would recommend that you just give it a listen because why not? Yeah. It's really not spoilery. I'm only including this. Because some people are like super hardcore, but I do not think this stuff is spoilery. You know who you are, and yeah. you're ashamed of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, enjoy this podcast. Uh, first, here is some bullshit about how Nick Brecken is number one. You're number one. <laughs> number one. Yeah. Jokes only at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nick was talking about how he was number one earlier. That's all you ever really need. That's true. Yeah, Nick that's is number good. one. The funniest joke. <laughs> Me. <laughs> Oh, that's not true, Nick. <laughs> you are loved. Thanks. Well, I love I've given story. you a card that says you are loved, and then you open it, and it plays like the Star Wars theme or something. <laughs> <laughs> it would probably be a, a even worse card on all fronts if it did try to play like the yeah. Luke and Leia theme yes. when you opened it. No, I mean that's that's what I yeah. That's kind of what you imagine. If what if the front of the if card it says you really, are loved, if the front of the card is like a brother. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> what, was, what was he hoping for with a card from you? I don't know. I know. Oh, damn. Yeah. We're a singing uh, telegram person. True. Those Did were you real. See? <laughs> they open the door. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Nick Brecken. <laughs> Wait, what? Someone said, Did you see? Oh, I was just going to say, Did you see what happens when you, so you, you played Metal Gear? Uh, this isn't this isn't this isn't burning the the cast. Or better not be. It's really not. This is not something to mention okay. on the stupid cast. But like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's be. much better. It's incorrect. Than this. Incorrect. You know what? I don't even want to. Fucking well, it's hear just it. it's birthday related. I don't know. It's September second, twenty fifteen. No. This is Idle Thumbs two hundred twenty six. No. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Daniel Riendo. I'm Jake Rodkin. And I'm Nick Brecken. Birthday related Metal Gear. <laughs> just, it's not, it's fine. <laughs> no. I, I, I was just going to say, did you see that? So you, at the beginning of Metal Gear, they have you input your birthday. Right. Um, they do. And uh, it was actually like strange to me, uh, that whole sequence of like, create a man and input your birthday. And then you're just mm-hmm. still snake and you're, <laughs> you're still, still an old guy. Yeah. Still, like I made a black guy. dude who was like just, young yeah. and like he had my birthday. And then suddenly I'm just snake yep. running around. Um, but uh, that sure is that game. <laughs> but but anyway, so you input your birthday. What that's for is that on your birthday, when you load up Metal Gear Solid 5 <laughs> and you go to your base, 
like Snake, as he is always, he's in his helicopter and like the, the tense music is playing and he lands and like the whole base is empty. And so he walks up to the front of the base and he's got his gun up and he's like, I don't know, what's that gonna happen? Rah. Somebody just starts playing like a fucking like goofy ass happy birthday song. It's just like it's not like a like a like a like a, a Sousa march, but it's like it's like an almost like an accordion, just like happy birthday. It's like not the happy birthday song though. It's like it's a weird like does if I told does, you a happy birthday song exists brand. and then as you create a happy birthday theme and it, like independent of knowing what that song is, right. and then all of the like hard ass like Metal Gear guys are just standing in a circle like clapping. Awkwardly. But of course they didn't get Kiefer Sutherland to record VO for this, so he just looks at them all like goofily and he's just like <laughs> he just he just like, Wait, is your character that you created involved in this? No. No. no okay, well, oh. okay, we uh, Yeah, this is skipping I don't know many why steps. this wasn't just part of our Metal Gear discussion, but because, well, because I had to make sure I'm... Nick would actually say it. Yeah, see this is why But I'm... our Metal Gear discussion yeah, begins but the thing that you're now. Talking about is an actual like part of the game worth discussing. The fact that it includes... Goofy the fact that Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain includes name your own character and painstakingly create your own character and then totally ignores <laughs> and that. And never it's use so it ever weird. again. It's amazing. It's like... Yep. You're in a, I thought... So I skipped like, the cutscene right after this, that and so I thought, oh... I must have just skipped the scene where my created character just, like, <laughs> well, exits like, stage left. Well, what basically then... happens, so I don't think this is a spoiler, because it happens right at the beginning of the game, and no. I'm, I'm sorry if you consider it a spoiler, but I, who cares? Uh, you know, you... This, <laughs> I mean, it's so, like, right, this game it's has got to be hundred hours game, long. Yeah. Right, okay, so I... Okay, here, let's just say right now, if you are a person for whom Metal Gear Solid games are, like... like sacrosanct. Yeah, just 100% sacrosanct. Just, you, you just... Even looking at the stupid art on the disc where you to buy this game in a store is enough of a reveal. We're going to talk about it apparently now. Also, that birthday shit is in it already owned. <laughs> um, so I guess. I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Look so, out. Um, so the game, I started playing Metal Gear Solid 5 last night. I mean, I, I played for about two hours probably, which was literally like. The, you played the weird section. The prologue. Yeah. The entire extent of the amount of time that I've had free to play any video games since it came out until recording this podcast. So I I filled all my free time with this game, and that amount was two hours. And half of it was spent, I think, in the introduction, yeah. which is you, like, shittily crawling through a hospital. <laughs> yes, such a strange <laughs> with, with Deadpool on fire, dude, running so, around. Did anybody yeah. play... Okay, but, but, um, but hold on, but... but, but I want to. I just want to like really like reiterate this character creation thing. It yeah. was it, it was amazing. So there is a there is a phenomenon. There's a phenomenon with AAA games in general, just like with any AAA blockbuster thing, be it games or movies, where people who you know don't who have conflicted op- opinions about you know big blockbuster tentpole entertainment love to play the game or go watch the movie or or whatever and then kind of snarkily tweet about how, like all the things that are wrong with it but they still seem to actually like always go see the movie and yep. always go play the game and, and so, pay the money to go play yeah. the game and, and see I the feel movie. like oh. Metal Gear Solid is the height of this um like it is the metal the Metal Gear series is the total absolute lord of sucking people in who profess not to be um, bought well, into the to the AAA thing, and I think it's, it's so, because 
Yeah, it's because <laughs> it's, let me just tell you what why, Chris. Well, I I think I it's have a theory, you like I have a theory as well. Yes. I suspect we all probably have a similar opinion about it. I'm guessing, maybe not. I think it's because it is so 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 strange yes. to have a thing that is. There is so much money put into it, like just so clearly, just so, so many big. millions of dollars put into the screen, and is so self serious and is so wrapped up in its own like three decades at this point of lore and continuity, but is but is also so <clears throat> goofy and weird, and is also such a product of a specific creative voice that is apparent through so that's the, work. the thing so that's it's that and it's also i think it's so large that it just basically contains multiple games within it yes for sure so, so you can like play the, this game that introduction that that whole that introduction, whole introduction is a completely other game that, that was is, made yes that is basically for this game that is basically a modern <laughs> which by the way walking simulator in addition to game. the other separate game that was already released called ground zeros yeah that which, was a whole other game that they made and released which in itself was 90 minutes long <laughs> yeah. And everybody complained about that because there was it was a proper whatever packaged yeah. release that was very short, even though it was whatever ninety minutes or two hours to sort of do the main quest of the game. And now this one is what eighty hours or, yeah. or whatever. I mean, like, and people so, are so okay. Sorry, but, uh, just to I, finish, I wanna, to finish don't... my thought really quickly. Yeah. The the thing I just described <laughs> like firing today. Well, <laughs> so just to just to wrap up what I was saying, like the that is. I don't know if any Metal Gear Solid game yet has contained as much evidence of the thing that I just said as this oh, one, yeah, no, this one's which insane. starts with like the starkest uh, juxtaposition between, you know, you bedridden and then you just like painstakingly crawling arm by arm across the floor and then crazy fucking demons and, and like sorcerers or some shit. And then the the thing that was the thing that was like <laughs> yes. the big hilarious troll, which is the which is really the seductive part of Metal Gear Solid games for me, which is just the strangeness, not of the strangeness of like a weird character on screen, but the strangeness. No, you're talking of about the design of the like that whole character creation thing, oh. which is as. Almost, not quite as, but almost as fully featured as that of like an Elder Scrolls game, and then the doctor who's like, we have to, we have to adjust your face so they can't see you, just gets killed after you finish the character creation. Yeah. Presumably, then he just you just aren't able to get it because he's dead now, and that entire thing is just yeah. they implemented that entire thing. Just as a gag, basically. Yep. No, I think it actually has some relevance. Okay. I think it actually might be your online avatar. Ah. Something. It definitely saves it. It's definitely something you can change in the menu later. Got it. I did want to say because in that sequence. Just as me, a, just my experience of it <laughs> so good, far, good try, just, Nick. just being a narrative <laughs> thing, it's amazing. Anyway, go ahead. No, no, no. So I wanted to totally agree. I had the exact same thought. Why I was thinking last night. Why is this game? Why does this feel like a summation of what this series is? And why does this series feel like such a strange thing within? triple a big budget uh you know within that sphere i think it is that they're so big and that the authorial voice like it's super weird because it isn't like a good voice like it's not like a consistent <laughs> voice it's not a voice that you can really just like appreciate for its total quality 
but it is a voice. You recognize it. Like you go, oh yeah, yeah that's that's this is this is that's fucking this, guy. this yeah. is happening right now. You're you're crawling on the ground following Kiefer Sutherland, who by the way is also <laughs> this is I guess is slight spoiler territory, but whatever. Like <laughs> you're playing as Kiefer, as Solid Snake, Kiefer Sutherland. There's you're a big, man who leads boss. you out of the yeah, your big boss, your big boss, big boss. And then there's a man who's leading you out of this hospital who is also you. <laughs> Yeah, he says. By the way, I call me Ishmael. I'm going to call you Ahab, and he's leading you out of the hospital. <laughs> now, there's a specific shot where a or Ishmael is leading you out, and you have to like everybody like has to hit the ground because they're like soldiers uh, coming down the hallway, and <laughs> the camera just like it goes up to a bunch of people who are about to be mowed down by these soldiers. The gunshots start flying, and then the camera drifts down. To the crease, to the the crack in the bedgown of the Kiefer Sutherland you're know, following, you, and just drifts down right to his butt, and then goes back up to the people who are getting <laughs> slaughtered. And that, to me, really just summed up the whole Hideo Kojima, uh, Metal Gear juxtaposition. <laughs> just the you know extreme gore, violence, Hollywood action. Drifting down to the but, the gap so in this yeah. man's gown for but. two seconds, who, by the way, is not a real person. He's a figment of your imagination. Uh, <laughs> I feel like all of it, this. It feels so much like you see that character model in the scene and then go, you should make the camera drift down. But <laughs> alternatively, if that's conceived from scratch as that is the scene, and he's like, okay, so first you got to make sure that you can see his butt, and then you got to put the soldiers uh, here and the people here, because I'm going to pan the camera down to show his butt, and it's going to be hilarious. Like, either one of those is no. insane! Yeah. What, what makes me laugh so much, because there's another one just like that, where you have to pretend to be dead amongst uh, several soldiers who've already, or several civilians who've already been killed. So you and the figment of your imagination is, is, is next to you, and uh, all these soldiers come up, and they're, you know, they're Firing bullets into the dead bodies to make sure that everyone's totally dead. And, uh, you look over and, fi- you know, like fake solid snake or big boss or whatever fake the hell boss. his name is. Fake boss. Uh, there's like just water coming out from his crotch area. It's like yeah, spilling all over the was, ground. I thought he was peeing yeah. himself. The joke is that you think he's peeing himself, but it turns out there's just an IV bag underneath him that's been punctured. <laughs> but like in that moment, like yeah. what? It's obviously oh framed for you to think. Yeah, yeah, it's out of control. So, anyway, yeah. yeah, all of this stuff, I, I agree with everything you're both saying, but also it, it sort of goes to my theory that people like this. The same people who say like, oh, AAA, like, you know, that kind of thing. It's because this is so anime. Like this whole thing is just so like the overdramatic, over the top, just from orbit kind of approach to everything is just the most anime thing yeah. ever. And I think that's why people who are like, oh, AAA games but still really love spectacle so, are into this sort well, it's of a really thing. So yes weird... and no, though, because I think... So, hey, did you guys play The Evil Within? Yes. Because the first section of that game is actually strikingly oh, similar yes. to the first section of this game. Oh, God, you're it's right. It's really strange. They both take place in hospitals. They're both sort of tutorial sequences. They're both incredibly over the top. Yeah. The Evil Within's opening section was incredibly over the top. I think that didn't get a great reaction from what I re- recall. I don't think people actually enjoy that. I don't think so. Here's the thing. I think the anime thing is interesting though because um, so I got I played like six hours of this game. The absurd tone deaf comedy um, just showing up in the middle of what is like in its sort of genre trappings oh, yeah. like that is brilliant. Yeah. I kind of don't mind a lot of the, I actually uh, you know what I'm gonna go farther than saying don't mind. I actually like the tonal insanity. Um, 
I like that there is a weird flaming horse that gets eaten by a flaming whale in the sky. Oh, the flaming whale. I and liked. also yeah. there's like a tank there. Yeah. Like I, I, I like that stuff. I, um, <clears throat> I don't, I don't know if it's good or not. And I don't really know if it means as much as Kojima probably thinks that it means <laughs> honestly, like just being frank, but I like that someone is putting that much money into a thing that is that insane but I also think it was just three times too long. And like, yo, it's, it's, anime. Yeah, it's Japanese. Yeah. No, I, I wanted to add to it and say that I actually think that how Japanese the animation and everything feels in this game, I think actually helps it a lot sure. in the rest of the game, which is the real game that they made, <laughs> yeah. which when you get past this section <laughs> yeah. Yeah. is phenomenal. And I'm going to say it, something it, right it, now. It is. I can already tell it's really, what really I can good. say, I'm going to say right now, based on the design of the open world, and the systems that they've designed, which are insanely detailed. Uh, this is the most Far Cry 2 game. Yes, I was going to say that. So, oh, shit. So, oh, my God. And in fact, it I is. think after having played six, seven hours of it, I think it kind of edges out Far Cry 2 <laughs> on being Far Cry 2. I think it's the new Far Cry 2. Get out Far Cry 2. I think basically this is everything I want from Far Cry 3 that never had, the, the Far Cry 3 that never actually got right. made. I think this is exactly the game that I wanted. Which is that all of these, the open world is constructed such that, so whatever, you're a big boss and you go to Afghanistan and there's an open world that's this not... during the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah in the 80s, 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 yeah, yeah. Which, you know, is my birthday year and, you know, Me probably too. some of our birthday years, which is strange when you enter your birthday and then suddenly you're in your... You're in... <laughs> I was born in 1984. I was a month old. Maybe in March 31st, 1984. Like, yes. what the Like, here we are. Yeah. Different, ca- different game entirely if you enter a yeah. different year. right. Um, but, uh, so that would be cool. That's so funny. Yeah. It's really weird, but <laughs> what, so, what is such a great year? <laughs> it was fine. I was four. Yeah. <laughs> it's not trying to be the, the open world that a lot of games are trying to be lately yes, not at where all. it is tunnel based, right? There are sections of this world that are set up as like level vignettes that are contained within the tunnels of this world. And I think that's a really... Which is basically what Far Cry 2 is. It's basically what Far Cry 2 is. There are checkpoints along the roads in the same way that Far Cry 2 you can... (laughs) But unlike Far Cry 2 you can actually capture those checkpoints. You can capture them permanently, right? Yeah, yeah, Which obviously is, you know, what they should have done in Far Cry 2. Um, But, uh... Well, that's that's debatable, but... but Mm. I think even Clint admitted that that was yeah. probably what they should have done. Uh, <laughs> I think I don't think they could have done that without also changing other things. But but yeah, go True. ahead. True. Um in any case, uh the actual levels, oh my god. I haven't seen I mean this is like level design as a discipline is very debatable, but uh you know it when you see like a good level. You know what I mean? Like as a discipline it's kind of hard to say like what the right way to make a level oh, is. Oh, for sure. But these levels are fucking fantastic. Like I just played like 2 hours before I came over here this enormous uh, section of, uh, I mean, like basically the, the way the game works is you get dropped off at a specific location in the open world, and then you always have to travel the rest of the way to your objective on oh, horseback or on foot. Um, and which is really nice because one, you're not going from a to you know one side of the world to the other side every time. It sort of gives you the right, like in, in terms of pacing, the right amount of tr- like travel time mm, yeah. that you want, not too much, not too little, and then just the right amount of things that are in your way, you know. Um, but this this like huge like compound in between me and my objective, which I did not expect. I thought, oh, they're just going to be some little shitty things. This enormous amount of detail went into creating this level, and I, I you know, I could tell like stories. Everybody's going to have a thousand stories uh, from playing this game. But there was just one really specific moment where 
I panicked. Uh, you know, a guy was coming towards me, and I was sort of on a um, like a dam, like I was on a like a um, uh, a driveway, I guess, that goes across a dam. Um, and uh, I this guy was just like you were on top of the spillway type situation, like yeah. like Goldeneye map. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> Like on the top of the Hoover Dam, you know, yeah. where you're sort of yeah. touring. Um, and uh, I just panicked uh, and just, just you know, dro- drove the stick left and just I didn't know what the hell was. It was like dark and I had no idea what I was, you know, going to be running towards. And I just noticed like that there was this guy. This is hard to describe, but it was just like this really accurately like believable piece of level architecture that was part of this, you know, um, dam, part of the construction of it. But it wasn't there for aesthetic purposes, and it wasn't there deliberately to get me to see it and go to it. You know what I mean? But it was there, and once I was with, once I was basically like in this on this catwalk, I realized like, oh, someone actually like this is a, a viable tunnel. But then, then I explored the rest of the level, and there were like ten other incredibly well thought out paths that were similar to that, that are you know totally viable things to do within that level. And it, it just blew my mind that this tiny little thing off to the side of this enormous mission, uh, which, you know, I don't know. I've played six hours and it still says I have 2% of this game completed. Like, <laughs> nice. this is a freaking insane yeah. game. I don't understand how this game got made. I mean, clearly under duress. Yes. But, like, yes. <laughs> but you know. Yeah. It, it, feels, it feels like a really legitimate breakthrough in stealth games. Yeah. Which I man, I have to say, I've um, I didn't play the sort of um, side Metal Gear Solid game. You know, I didn't play Metal Gear Online. I didn't play Ground Zeroes. I didn't play. I didn't play those ones. But I, I you know, I played Metal Gear Solid one, two, three, and four. Mm-hmm. And you know, for the most part, uh, I I really liked Metal Gear Solid one, and I really liked Metal Gear Solid three. Um, and you know, I liked things about two and four. But really, across all four of those games. Um, there definitely is really, there is fun gameplay in them that I, that I enjoyed in a lot of ways, but also I spent a lot of those games just kind of, just kind of bashing through them. Um, that, you know, like when you get seen, things just sort of collapse in those games, or at least if you're me, they, they do. Um, well, because there's nowhere to go. Yeah. And I mean, even, even in levels that are sort of somewhat. You yeah, know, yeah. And, Metal Gear Four was bad for that. Yes, me, for me. And um, and I don't even think that that's unique to to Metal Gear games at all. I mean, that's like kind of a, a property of stealth games in a lot yeah. of ways. I mean, even really good ones. You know, even like Hitman games and things like that. Often they oh. just they're just catastrophes mm-hmm. yeah. when they when they fall apart. And um, this feels like <clears throat> such a different approach, just fundamentally to stealth games in a way that is so smart. And so well conceived and well executed on the detail level, it's crazy. I mean, I'm not even that far into it. Yeah. You know, I'm a one percent in according to the start <laughs> start menu. <laughs> and and I can it's just so clear how completely well designed it is. It's crazy so to me. So a lot of games have have used some of the same mechanics. Um like the binoculars and marking your targets. Right. But, but it's but the I mean first more... game. No, no, no. I just wanted to say yeah, it's yeah. the first game that actually I, that makes me actually want to do that and enjoy doing that because mm. of the way that I know the systems are going to interact later in the level. Like, I just feel there's just something about the level of fidelity that they built into everything at this point and the way that they've constructed the missions and the and the sort of architecture of everything that just 
it supports it all in a way that just it was like half supported before you know like they had yeah. they had like the resetting of guards before they had some of these concepts but they were never really taken to like what they could be and it feels like this is what it should have been you know i mean this feels like sort of like but i don't know the, if it could have been until like well yeah this no, feels like you would have I mean, need to have gone through so much iteration and so many ideas to arrive oh yeah because i just don't know of other, another game that has all this stuff in it really i mean like you said this far cry 2 feels has, like a predecessor to it for like but there are very few games that have this general philosophy i feel no it's 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 i, I mean i guess there are some elements of assassin's creed for sure there are a lot of elements of far cry um yeah, but the, and it, and, but, and then and there's just there a are, ton of metal gear and it's just elements, a strange amal- amalgamation of all these things you know? there are elements that are analogous to assassin's creed but they're using them for f- totally different purposes yeah like, i feel like the assassin's creed is has become this sort of de facto kitchen sink approach to open world, which is you just kind of like evenly spread everything across a huge square that is your world. And you just kind of pepper interchangeable missions. The checklist kind of design. Yeah, exactly. Checklist side quests. It feels so uninspired compared to this. Like, like you know what I mean? Speaking of which, uh, so I mean, there are side quests in this game, but one of the first side quests you get is, um, so, so one thing I really liked right off the bat was, you know, you're facing all these Russian enemies, uh, but you can't understand what they're saying. Like, you hear the Russian, but they don't translate it for you immediately. Yeah. But one of the first side quests is you can go and capture a, a Russian interpreter and then send mm-hmm. him back to work for you. And then immediately after that point, you can, um, you can have him translate for you. Or, oh my God. And like, that's awesome. Yeah. The other crazy thing too is like when you're on the radio, um, like you hear the radio audio, like just got all these fucking little details. Like you hear the radio audio, but then also you hear the local audio. So you get the weird, like, effect of somebody being on the yeah. phone who you, where you also hear like the conference telephone feed coming yeah, in yeah, yeah. um and then you know like you capture the guy and like you can interrogate him uh and if you know the russian then he actually pays attention if you don't you know know it then he's just like what i don't know what the hell you're talking about and then you have to hit him in the face um <laughs> but like like you just every, they've thought of everything like it's insane if you pull a gun on a guy he sticks his hands up like what the fuck like and then, and then, like, there's a whole other chain of events, like, branching decisions that go on past that point. Like, each little, like, moment feels like I could take this several different ways, which all of these elements have been done in games before. There are games where you can stick a gun in somebody's face, but not this many and this well thought out, you know. And related to each other and relevant. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's the difference between... Well, the, that's why I, like, I want to bring up the translator thing, because the Assassin's Creed would have been a mission to, like capture the russian interpreter but it would have had no gameplay relevance it would have just been a mission about that you know right. what i mean like well, or just like some other just arbitrary mission that's just there on the map yeah, and it's yeah. just the same as like the 40 other ones you've done mm-hmm. at the same time i've yeah. been uh watching a lot of my girlfriend is playing it right now and yeah. you know i'm sort of helping her capture footage and so on and so forth um weirdly and this might sound like a bizarre comparison but it it recalls to me almost the the sort of fidelity of the souls games where every every mm. little element has been yeah. thought about it's obviously a different type of game it's not yeah, an but action I, I know what you, mean. you know adventure kind of game but like every little detail of the world yep. feels like it was actually made for a, a specific reason not just oh this is cool art from generic spaceship number three or you know or whatever and it also reminded me a little bit of the witcher not just for the horse stuff but for the whole idea that the open world again was built with this actual 
sort of world in mind, not just, you know, here's an open world, go do these things. Like the, the quest structure in The Witcher 3 was was so awesome because of that, because it felt like every single thing you did actually contributed to your understanding of this world. And which is again, so, different yeah. because it's a fantasy world, yeah. obviously, and this is a little bit more which, of a real world. All of which setting, is so but. weird because you because you experience all that after an hour of just like the goofy essentially shit. random <laughs> things being thrown into your yeah. face. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, I'm sure yeah. like there are things that, you know, like Revolver Ocelot shows up and it's like, oh, I remember him from the other. Okay, like yeah. I, I can grab onto that a little bit. Also featuring m- the best moment for me of the pre-real game section of the game, which is as you're riding alongside that guy, or I guess on the back of his horse, actually, if you're, if you're <laughs> yep. riding with him on his horse, the game is like does this weird – first of all, the credit sequences as in Metal Gear Solid 4 as well, and I can't remember if the earlier ones also, but like – as in at least one other Metal Gear Solid game, there are seemingly like three credit okay, sequences no, in a row. No, there are infinite credit sequences, my friend. Every mission in this game is an episode. And before and oh after every God. episode, they run the credits. Before <laughs> and after. I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> I've seen Hideo Kojima, creative director, like whatever, lead visionary. Yeah, the, I've even seen even that credit the, at least 15 times. Well, also, though, even, even just in the first two credit sequences he's already in each of them multiple times <laughs> I know. but yeah. anyway the thing that the, the, the actual thing i wanted to point out was not the the real credit sequence but the credit sequence that comes after the real credit mm. sequence which is the fictional character credit sequence mm-hmm. that like right. yeah, yeah, yeah. introduces the characters by their, do that for every episode by their in-world names and after they introduce <laughs> like the several main characters in the first episode one of the characters they introduce is the actual brand of sunglasses that also yeah. Ocelot is wearing. Oh, yeah. Which is a real sunglass brand. Yeah. <laughs> and that is, like, given equal, like, typeset uh, like, build as the other characters. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Like, it's that is incredible. what I'm fucking talking about. Like, that, the character creation dispense thing, like, those touches are, other than now for the actual, like, amazing game that's in it which was kind of a surprise to me the uh shit like that is why i play all the way through metal gear solid game because i there is no other game triple a or indie that has that shit in it the indie version of it would be like the whole point of the game would be that weird unexpected subversions would be having all it the would time. be a story yeah that's game. like i mean like no more heroes is kind of the game yeah. that doubles and triples down on the sort of absurdist well, no weird stuff or d4 that's wacky. what i mean like it's yeah. just that is what it's Point right. is, instead of it just being right. a thing that shows up in an ostensibly not that yes. moment. Right. Like, I'm not going to retell the whole thing again because I've already told – explain how much I love it twice. But, like, my favorite moment in any Metal Gear game is that Metal ladder. Gear Solid 3 where you climb the ladder forever. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. shit like that. It's like That is why I play Metal, Metal Gear Solid games is because sometimes there is a thing that is just there and it is just an odd choice <laughs> that no one else would ever put in a game that costs $80 million, yeah. which is how much this game costs to make. Yeah, no one would else does that. I mean, just if, the fact that you can attach a balloon to any man that right, rifles right. him up into the sky <laughs> right. at or any time real, in the game. Yeah, that's a real thing, by the way. I know Not it in is. the way that it's portrayed yeah. in this well, game. If but you've like, watched Batman, you've seen it already. But yeah, it's it's <laughs> really? a, yeah, it's it's been used in fiction in, in sort of pop, oh, okay. pop fiction. Oh yeah, Batman escapes uh, yeah. Hong Kong by way of deploying a balloon that a plane yeah. picks up and scoops. Yeah, I mean, the CIA actually, that's a real thing. That's yeah. a real technology. Yeah, yeah, Batman made it. Wayne Enterprises. God, have you gotten to the base yet? Have you have you gotten to the mother base? So when you get to the mother base, like they tell you that, oh yeah, if you attach the balloons to people, they'll actually 
go back to the base and they become your like little agents. And so you can, there's a whole base building thing and you oh, yeah, assign you're, people you're to be your R&D team or whatever. Yeah. But what's hilarious about it is that in the tutorial for this like, you know, uh, uh, mechanic, um, Ocelot's just like, oh, Snake, we'll, we'll get some guys out here to, to show you how this works. Uh, anyway, here's our first guy, and the guy runs up, and he's like, Hello, sir! And he's just like, so why don't you try punching him? And so you just punch this guy who's, like, your friend, who's, like, they're there just to, like, Yes, sir! I'll do anything you want, he's sir! He's wacky! Just, you fucking knock him out, and then you attach a balloon to him, and then he flies up into the air, ostensibly to fall right back down again, because that's where he lives already. But then, like, another guy comes out, he's like, Okay, now try throwing this guy to the left. He's like, Hello, sir! It's just... <laughs> this goes on for like seven dudes. You just beat the shit out of all of your like all helper your army. Minions. It's hilarious, and you can. And by the way, when you're running around the base, you you just like all these guys are just saluting you. But but the second you even like run into them at all, they just get like hip checked to the side. And so the oh, Assassin's you, Creed style. Yeah. So oh, whenever God. you're at your base, you just like are just knocking all of these people down who are just there working for you like 24 well, seven. What's funny is that that is for, that is weirdly foreshadowed in the introduction during the part where you, with the butt where there's a lot of people in a hallway and, <laughs> and your, your character is like moving through them. And for some yeah. reason, yeah, every yeah, yeah. person there's like poor people who are about yeah. to get mowed down. <laughs> get every person, he just like shoves them out of the way for no apparent reason. Yeah. Yeah. You can just punch He's everyone. He's not a on gentle man. For this, no reason. This boss, this big boss. Anyway, it's a strange game. Yeah, it is so much better. It's so much better than I thought it was going to be. I yeah. really thought I. I don't. I guess I just. You know, my mo now is to not watch pre like not read previews, not watch mm-hmm. pre release things. Just in general, like I just just don't well, really do much of it. And I just kind of assumed this was going to be like Metal Gear Solid Four, um, you know, and probably different in some ways, but yeah. basically that. And it is so. Like, just the core game is so impressive. I I am honestly I mean, amazed. The the one well, I guess the last thing I'll say about it is that um, the Far Cry Two thing. It so what I try to do in Far Cry Two for the most part is set up. I mean it's it's like the thing that we were doing when we when we were streaming it. I like to set up like ambushes. I like yeah. to approach a situation, make a choice, and then like go all in on that choice. Right. You know what I mean? Like what am I going to do with this mission? I know that there are infinite things I could do because the game is allowing those things, you know, infinite things. And that that's why the game is brilliant. Um, if that if those choices are there and then I like to just say, oh, I'm going to do this, this, this and this sort of have a mental plan and then try to execute it. And usually you die and go back and it's hilarious. Um, this game is all about that when you get in the meat of it and just the the way that they've structured everything, like the design of it is just like, it's perfect. It's just, they've, they've nailed it in a way. And I played Far Cry 3 and Far Cry 4 and Assassin's Creed's and nobody's really done it to this level of execution. It's really goddamn impressive. Like I, and I guess the way I would categorize it. And I think the thing that's so impressive to me is that it's, it's feels oddly restrained. Like it's not, I, when you're, when you're on a hill overlooking this dam, I'm not going to jump on a hang glider and fucking throw a bomb at somebody (laughs) from the air and then like three point land and do a thing. That's just, the game doesn't allow for that. Maybe it does later, you know, but right now, six hours in it's, it's just, no, I'm not going to, there's no way I could even do anything remotely like that. I would just instantly die. Um, Actually, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't instantly die. It would just end up a mess, you know. And yeah. like the game is sort of reinforcing you to do not not the stealth playthrough necessarily, but to just like make smart, interesting choices. And those choices are like broad, you know. Yeah. Like, and oh god, so just, 
limiting you slightly, which to me is like that the choice of allowing you uh, to you know pick one way or another way on the on sort of the the open world, right? But but it, you can't just run over the mountain, you know. Like they're 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 narrowing the choice space enough to make it you know mentally uh, interesting. Um, and then, and then also like within each moment, then it just sort of increasingly branches. I guess it's sort of the, for, for sure. I like, this was, I guess my, probably my closing thought, but, um, you saying that really, you know, I referred to this game as a stealth game earlier. And I said that, that it feels like a real, uh, you know, advancement in stealth games, but really I think it's probably not actually a stealth game. I think mm. what you're talking about and I, and I feel this way for sure is that any game that has any game that where that is about combat, right? And like sur- surpassing enemies and sort of things like that, right? Like that, those kinds of dynamics. Um, if it's going to have enough systems in it that all talk to each other, and it's going to be interesting enough to allow you different ways to achieve a problem, you have to be vulnerable. Otherwise, mm-hmm. there's no point in engaging with all those systems, and that makes it kind of a de facto stealth game but the thing that makes it not a Mm. stealth game is that it isn't like a binary state of being stealthy or not right that's just part of it it's just that by by having that be any of it yes it is more of that than the vast majority of action games i think which don't require that kind of restraint like dishonored falls into that Mm. category for me yeah me too yeah Um, definitely and i i'm glad and and even far cry 2 like you have you're you Far Cry, no one calls Far Cry 2 a stealth game simply because the tropes of it as a first-person shooter, just people don't associate that yeah. with that terminology. And in that sense, neither is this game. They're both in that same category of, like, careful games. I guess. Like, you, <laughs> yeah. you have to be Games careful. with consequences. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 No, I mean... That's the, actually the thing I enjoy about this game is that I know I'm not trying for a no-kill playthrough or anything. Right. I don't yeah. actually enjoy that typically. And, and with this game, I just feel like it's kind of limiting because the moments that are so satisfying is when you try to be careful right. and then no longer can be careful because you've screwed something up. Or actually, typically, uh, what I enjoy about this game is it's not that you've screwed something up. It's that something surprised you. And there's so many surprising moments, uh, like just riding down the, the uh, you know, riding on your horse and just a truck pulls up. That happens all the time. Just like weird things in this game are just like, they're not triggered. They're not really systemic in the sense that these things aren't happening all the time. I don't really know how a lot of these systems work yet, I guess. I'm sure they'll become apparent. But um, it's really uh, it's really surprising, you know. And, and, and like even just like hiding in a barrel, which you can, or not a barrel, I guess, but whatever, like the dumpster. <laughs> the cardboard even, you box. Know, the classic <laughs> Dishonored thing. Yeah. I feel like in this game, I've done it maybe five times and really not known in any of the cases whether or not what it was going to lead to. And I think in almost every case, it led to something different. It wasn't that they caught me uh, like one time a guy threw a grenade in. The other time they just completely <laughs> didn't didn't had no idea. Yeah. Uh, another time I surprised a guy and like, you know, knocked him out. And like just there were like a thousand different results for that one mechanic. Um, and I think there's just a really intense level of variety that they've built into almost any situation. It's insane. I don't know how they made this game. It's ridiculous. Super impressive. No. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Metal Gear Solid conversation. I said like nothing in that because I just sat here the entire time going, holy crap. I did not know that was what Metal Gear Solid <laughs> no, 5 was. Well, I'm like, Chris, I, I didn't, I read no previews. I yeah. played Ground Zeroes the day before this came out. So I had no, I really had no idea mm. what this was going to be either. Um, yeah really surprising and uh, nice actually yeah i didn't expect a good game 
this year, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. I mean, especially given all the shit with Konami and Kojima and yeah. everything. Like, given given that kind of drama, it, you almost never expect, like, a really, truly transcendent, great, polished thing to come out of that yeah. relationship. Well, most of the end of 4 really left a bad taste in my mouth. I mean, I feel like the beginning yeah, sure. section I enjoyed, and then... Me too. I really liked the opening of that game. I, I beat that game, but I think the last I did eight too. hours, yep. I just really didn't care. The last <laughs> eight hours, yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that game in the game, yeah. Yeah. Well. Okay. Should I talk about Dads in Space? Maybe we should take a break or and break. then talk about like a bunch of games that are not Metal Gear Solid 5 because I feel like that was a whole half an episode probably. Probably so, yeah. Let's do that. Let's do it. Take a break. And then Dads. Ooh. Video games. This episode of Idle Thumbs is brought to you by MeUndies. An excellent provider of high-quality underwear and, and basic undergarments that you can find at MeUndies.com slash thumbs. Uh, they're very good, high-quality. I like them a lot. If you're recording a podcast in an unair-conditioned, stuffy room with three <laughs> other people, really helps. it can get yeah, it can get questionable down, yeah. down there. Uh, <laughs> it's just warm, you know? So you know, you things the, just heat up. Yeah. <laughs> You need the right underwear. That's right. For sure. For any situation, <laughs> mm-hmm. you need the right underwear. That's right. Yep. Uh, Mandy's.com <laughs> slash thumbs. You will get 20% off your first order. And uh, shipping is now free on all orders in U.S. and Canada. Ooh. Yeah. That is a, a nice new... Uh, universal perk at MeUndies.com. But <laughs> also, deliver you some nice new underpants. Yeah. yeah. And MeUndies.com slash thumbs... Um, they will know that we sent you and give you 20% off your first order. Excellent. Yeah. Me, thanks, MeUndies. Thanks, MeUndies. MeUndies.com slash thumbs. Video games. You're like, I don't Speak wear underwear. Yourself. You're number one. Speak for yourselves. I'm number one. <laughs> number one. <laughs> number one. This episode of Idle Thumbs is also brought to you by NatureBox. A delicious right. snack subscription service that will send yeah. all kinds of tasty treats directly to your home or office. And if you go to naturebox.com slash thumbs, you will get your first box of NatureBox on them. Ooh. Yes, naturebox.com slash thumbs. Uh, we love NatureBox. We have eaten so much NatureBox. Uh, it is it is shocking. Those big island pineapples big are island delicious. Big island pineapple slices. Gotta have them. Mm. Yep, you gotta have those ranch uh, peas. Oh yeah, yep. I've noticed that multiple podcasts specifically call out like because Nature Box advertises on a lot of shows. Yeah. Big Island Pineapple is called out by a ton of podcasts. Really hosts. good. It's really yeah. good. It is good. They're eat delicious. Them. You eat them. Here's the thing, though: if you follow our advice, get that Big Island Pineapple. Aren't so much into it. Their snacks are guaranteed. Uh, you will let the helpful folks at Nature Box know, and they will replace it. And next month's box. And then you oh, can let nice. Idle Thumbs know, and we will let you know that you were wrong about the Big Island Pineapple because it is delicious. <laughs> really it is really So good. go to naturebox.com slash thumbs, <clears throat> fill out a goddamn form, and have snacks sent to your house <laughs> on them first box, and then just sign up and have a bunch of them sent to you forever. Yeah, because they're, they're good. They're yeah. good. Thanks, uh, Naturebox. I'll be buried with my final Naturebox. We buried, buried in, in your, your final nature box. In your meundies, in your final nature box. You'll eat your way into it and lay yourself to rest. <laughs> I'll die happy and comfortable. Yep. Yay. To create more nature boxes with your... <laughs> with, <laughs> with your, with your remains. With your remains. Oh, uh, that's my nature box works. Sorry, nature box. Naturebox.com slash nature box. Nature box.
Boxes, Nature Boxes people. Nature Boxes people. Are we back? Let's be back. I, I, love I being have back. really exciting things to tell you about dads in space. All right. Yes. Is that a game? No. Well, I played two games about dads in space. All right. All right. They're, they're <laughs> pretty not? cool. They're both pretty cool, but very different. The first one is called Corpse of Discovery. And this okay. game. I have never heard of this. In this game, it's it's small, tiny little indie game. Uh, and it is a first person exploration game where you play as a lone astronaut. A lot of sort of vibes of Moon, the Duncan Jones movie mm-hmm. Moon, yeah, which I love. I love. It, it's a great movie. So you're alone. Um, Big and Moon fans here on this podcast. A lot, a lot of moons. A lot of good moons. <laughs> By both the movie and the moon. And the, yeah. and the, and the, and the and celestial the, object. Yes. <laughs> the thing made of cheese in the sky. It's not really me. Danielle's not a big moon fan, apparently. No. Got some outdated yeah. info there, but <laughs> we just detected a fake oh, moon fan. Like <laughs> fake gamer moon fan. Yeah. So in this game, uh, you're basically so you're playing this lone astronaut, and you you work for the core of Discovery, and they are just sort of this big unfeeling corporation, and you know, or corpseration. Corpser. Is it a corpseration or a corporation? More like it. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, you're right, because that's the play on words in the title. All right. You wake up, (laughs) you don't know what's happened, really. All you know is, you know, oh, it's my last mission and I have to do all this stuff. And you get your 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 mission of you have to place all these beacons around the planet. And as you first wake up in your living quarters, you see all these like pictures that your children drew and you get to sort of like get messages from your family that are saying like, we miss you so much. We, we miss you. We wish we could see you more often because you're off on this far flung planet. And your sort of robot companion keeps telling you about like, oh, you're doing such a great job. You're going to get to go home after this. You know, if you keep working hard, you're going to get to go see your family again. And that's sort of the premise of the game. And I won't spoil anything, but of course, there's sort of other things going on. It's not exactly like Moon, but it's the sort of tone of Moon where like, yeah, this shitty corporation is ruining everybody's life and like making them feel like they have just have to keep working and working and working. And then then maybe look at sort of the the carrot at the end of the. The carrot at the end of the stick? That's not the right term. The cheese at the end of the sp- yes, moon. Yes, the cheese at the end of the moon. Um, I, I liked it. I thought it was... Um, moon rainbow. Yeah. <laughs> you get to eat your moon rainbow That's with your moon Skittles. It's, yeah. <laughs> really delicious. Why not? I thought it was like a good sort of meditation on the whole like work-life balance sort of idea but done in this kind of cool way with astronauts and in space and it's actually very pretty it's like very very nice sort of high fidelity indie game where you're going to all these different planets and seeing all this weird wildlife and all this other stuff so you're doing interesting things moment to moment more so than in a lot of other kinds of games of this type like the actual i guess you could call it a whatever walking simulator but you are you are sort of doing these objectives as well like find Mm -hmm. wildlife or place beacons and weird things and there's always interesting obstacles and stuff so i thought this was cool the other game about a dad in space that I've played is Stasis, which is uh, a, which is play this. awesome. It is fantastic. It's a point and click adventure game, sort of very classic style. You know, you you're playing as sort of an avatar, your little dude. Top down. It's yeah. isometric, it's, sort of top yeah. down. Um, and it is just a really, really, really well done, well written, atmospheric point and click adventure game. Uh, very much in the style of it feels like if you took Alien Isolation and and sort of the oppressive nature of that game and the way in which, again, it's sort of 
telling the story of like a shitty corporation that that made things poorly and classic and that sort of exploiter thing. of dads basically yes classic <laughs> exploiter of dads um it, it's it feels like alien isolation but made into a really awesome point and click kind of uh, adventure game style and yes you are also a dad trying to sort of find your family that's your you know you wake up and you don't know what's going on mm-hmm. you you were in stasis that's you know the name of the game and you know, you have to figure things out. And of course, there's some weird experiments and weird things going on on this derelict ship that you find yourself on. So it's it's very much classic sort of sci-fi horror tropes, but it's done really, really well. Like the writing is fantastic. The atmosphere is awesome. There's a lot kind of going on. I was immediately sort of sucked into the mystery of like, what happened here? Which, you know, that's pretty much the most important thing in that style of game. So I would highly recommend that one as well. Nice. Cool. And that's my dad's in space segment. Man, I just watched a little bit of video of Corpse of Discovery. That game is nice looking. It's beautiful. It's really cool. It's absolutely beautiful. Very colorful and, and like just the assets look really nice. It's funny. In the last oh, yeah. couple of years, I mean, we're, uh, we're working on Firewatch. It was a game set in the woods. It feels like games set in the woods and in the outdoors were made reasonably achievable in the last couple of years so a lot <laughs> yeah. of people have been doing them it seems like we are now apparently we've cusped over to space is fucking easy space to do is, or is getting to that point yeah. i wonder if that came about with like image-based lighting with sort of being able to have yes. the sun light your mm, world really sure. well in that high contrast way that looks natural because now you can make a space station that has that really high contrast yep. nasa yeah. sun coming through and then your planet can have that soft look and that just comes from literally having a directional light from a star yeah. But sorry for getting into that for half a second, but just like... No, it's awesome. Everyone's yeah. all about nice fucking looking space right now. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, not, it's and true. it's I welcome it. Yeah. It's, it's, Who doesn't right. welcome sweet space being all over sweet the place? Sweet moon space. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, good. Yeah. Those are two cool. Oh, and I'll just say that I played it because it's cool. Yoshi's Woolly World continues to be very beautiful. I mean, it's coming out soon. And I played a couple of auto-scrolling levels that were... Way more difficult than most Yoshi sort of levels. Yeah, everything from that game looks very nice. Looks like a game I want. It's really beautiful. I played it with uh, one of the giant yarn Yoshi amiibo in my in my lap. He was cuddling me. The people at Nintendo Nintendo probably thought I was super weird because I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna cuddle your stuffed animal while I play the game," (laughs) and I'm sure nobody else did that. But whatever. whatever. Between between Super Mario Maker and the new Yoshi game, it feels like if you. Like, you, you cannot be more happy, I feel like, right now, as a yes. person who wants Nintendo platformer stuff that is not just more new Super Mario Brothers, which is what it feels like they were just yes. churning out yes. for a while. It's yeah. really cool. It's really, really You have great. a Wii U, right? I do. It's been... Yeah. Sean has had it at his house forever. Oh, oh, this reminds me. Sorry. Super Mario Maker. Oh, yeah. I had an idea conceptually for a level mm-hmm. that I want to know from you, Danielle, as yes. a person who's played more of it, if it's even possible. Okay. So the idea that I had for my for my four-level Super Mario Maker campaign <laughs> is literally the exact same geometric structure, but the paths that you can take are determined by the physics of the Mario that you're playing. So the first oh, time you cool. played through it, you oh. played as Mario 1 Mario. And am I incorrect that in Mario 1, can you scroll backwards? You can't. No. In Super I, yeah, Mario Maker, you when you play with Mario 1 set, can you only go... I think you can only go. Yeah, you can only go because yeah, it was sure. a big fucking deal in Mario two <clears throat> and three. I think that you could that go, you could go forth, the other yeah. direction. So if the first time you play through the level, you can only go from the left side of the screen to the right side of the screen. Then you play as Mario three Mario, and suddenly it's revealed that another route is available if you go the other direction from the spawn point. Yeah, um, and you can also fly. But then with Mario World, there'd be a path out, and the Mario World exit would only be available if you do sort of like the cape uh, mm-hmm. chaining <laughs> stuff. And then yeah, yeah. Um, 
when you play with New Super Mario Brothers controls, you'd have to be able to wall jump to get through parts that just otherwise looked like sort of constrained gaps between pipes, but literally it's the same level layout. Yeah. I'm sure someone will do that. That's where, like, really cool the idea. enemies yeah, are the same. Awesome. Every, like, literally, you just build one map that four yeah. different Marios can complete in four Man, different that's ways. Crazy. You'd that have sounds to, amazing. You'd have to yeah. test the fuck out of that map. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, you'd also, I mean, can you do maps and then edit them, or would you have to, like, I don't graph know. it on graph paper yourself and then well, go you, and, like, you build it four times? Well, you as a person, you'd have to basically, you can, you can switch which Mario you're playing as. Right, but, if, the, you have to, but yeah. if you have to, these have to be saved as four different levels. I don't know. I don't know enough about the intricacies of Mario Maker, but I think you can. I could be wrong, but I think you can do you can because like there's a functionality for like save this as a as a template level and, right. and oh, that sort of can, thing. Yeah, you can totally do that. I'm yeah. pretty sure you can do that with your own. I'm sure this is a thing that people either are already doing or will do a shitload of. But I was thinking about that this morning and just went, oh man, you could totally yeah, like cool idea. Have only the base level items available, and it's just the movement, the movement nuances of the right. four different Mario's that actually, or like plus enemy behaviors, plus whatever else right. that you could not change the tile layout at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. That was my you weird. You should make that. I, I mean, not I guess, have the time I to guess, make that. I have the time to say it on a podcast. I guess that. Fast, I guess though. that means your tile layout is limited to Mario One. Not necessarily. I mean, I guess if you want to be really crazy about it, yes. But because you can, they have things that can backport. Right, you can. Yeah. Right. But I mean, like, if you if you want to be really hardline about it, yes. Yeah. But then, if you like, want to be a purist. But then, like, right. <laughs> uh, like the way Mario, it depends on how subtle you want to get with it. Like, if you really want to be like Mario World's acceleration and jump physics means you can reach a tile slightly differently than Mario 3's, as opposed to like I want a question mark block to be able to give you a cape if you're playing in Mario World. Like mm-hmm. that's sort of mm-hmm. where you draw the line of yeah. sort of how hardline you get. If it's literally just Mario's run and jump mechanics, or if it's like you support. At least oh, the base right. items of the different yeah, Mario's. Yeah, yeah, right. And yeah. you could probably be a hardcore maniac. Well, you, the way you could do that, I guess, is by having the the cape one be inaccessible to Mario. Oh, my God. So, you like, if you somehow do it so that Mario World Mario, like, if you ran to maximum run speed and jumped, if you knew that Mario 3 Mario would, like land on a lower platform, right, whereas exactly. Mario World Mario right. is the only one that could achieve the yeah. slightly higher I don't know, platform. I don't know enough about Mario physics. I, I don't know, know either. I don't know how like, nuanced that stuff yeah. is because, mm. man, if you built it like that, you would be such a lord. So that it would only be possible for each yeah, individual like if, Mario oh, yeah. to interact with <clears throat> things from their game or below, basically. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. That would be really cool. That would be a hardcore what level. What would you call yeah. it? Back, I, I don't know. Backward compatible Mario. You, yeah. Four Marios. Yeah. <laughs> As a dumb nod Four to the Marios. weird, like... What was it like? Two hundred fifty-six Mario's, or what was the? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that yeah. was Super, Super yeah. Mario one twenty-eight. The Super, this is Super Mario Four, is what you call this. Super Mario Four. <laughs> <laughs> I love this idea. But yeah. okay, but but wasn't didn't didn't Miyamoto constantly refer to like that tech demo as? It was Mario one twenty-eight. No, no, no. It was. I think it was one hundred twenty-eight Mario's. Like the official Nintendo in like a, way in of a phrasing the tech or demo. Something. Yeah, he, was, he was referred to it as like n- the plural mar- like number of Mario's. One hundred twenty-eight Mario's. Like, the, like fans always. I mean, there were 128 Mario's. To be, they were running fair. around, yeah. I mean, that was always demoed just as Super Mario 128. I'd never heard of it as called anything other than that. I oh. feel like he called it that in like Iwata asks maybe that's interviews or of. something. Okay, maybe I. I, I feel like I've seen. I really, that I, I didn't else. follow. You guys probably know better than I. I do. didn't follow Mario 128 past that tech demo for the. <laughs> we have to get to the bottom of this. <laughs> yeah, this is important. This anyway, is that was my dumb Mario Maker idea that Isn't I think is actually cool. Great. It would require someone way cooler than me because the only way that you could probably differentiate the like acceleration curve of those Mario's is to have the beginning of the level drop you off like a 300 screen high cliff 
to like really draw out <laughs> yeah. the arcs of their different landing uh, distances over time. Oh man! But well, I don't really know. I don't know enough about the different Mario jump physics. I'm sure there's a YouTube video showing all of the perfect arcs yeah. of max acceleration versus I'm, where they land. I think this has actually probably been figured out to a, an incredible degree. In that case, someone could just make that fucking Mario Maker level now. Please yeah. do. I think and put idlethumbs.net yeah. and coins in it. Please yeah. make it. Yes. I mean, my um, after watching um, Games Done Quick this summer and oh, yeah. watching the Mario speedrunners, they all know exactly. Oh yeah, I, mean, the I level know that of... all that information is is figured. No, out no, no, to, I know, to, I know. Yeah, to a high to a high degree. I just yeah. don't. What I don't actually know, mm. off the top of my head, obviously, is just literally the the, the difference yep. in jump distances and acceleration rates and all that other crap. But I know yeah. it's different from. It's game just, to game. It was just surprising to me that. Um, all those guys were just so uh, just knew exactly like they were just oh, talking yeah. about it as they were playing yeah. it and going like oh yeah like as you can see here Luigi in this version blah 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 it's just like oh my god this pixel yeah I don't even think I think I read one of those Wada asks and I think one of the designers was like is Luigi any different I don't even remember like, <laughs> yeah, like, I don't like the people who That's actually like get is. to the yeah. bottom of these games it's very impressive anyway yeah yeah it's cool speaking of Mario Maker. <clears throat> I, I have no I have no transition. You it's a about? cool game. I think I can finally say that now because the review embargo is up. Oh, it's good. Right. It's great. <laughs> no one would have seen that coming from <laughs> yep, last week when you gushed about not. it for the whole episode. Yeah, definitely not, right? <laughs> uh, Chris, you played Lara Croft Go, and I also played that, so we should talk about it on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. That's my brilliant segue <gasps> into like that it. game. Nice segue. Yes. Uh, Lara Croft Go is an like a mobile game from... Uh, Square Enix Montreal, the same people who made Hitman. Is it the Go. Make this one? Yeah. Yes. Okay. They cool. did because their logo is the E from Square Enix turned on its side to make an M, and that comes up at the beginning of the game. <laughs> oh, you're right. Um, yep. It's. We talked about Hitman Go a few times on the podcast, I think, because mm-hmm. we were very surprised by it. Hitman Go, it, it took the really, really, really bare bones concept of you are a hitman and there are people who you are taking down to get to your target and turned it into a, a, board a game turn-based puzzle a, game. A turn-based yeah. board game puzzle game. Um, and Lara Croft Go, as you could probably guess, is <laughs> them taking the Tomb Raider IP and applying it to that. Lara. Lara Croft. Sorry. Laura. <laughs> Lara. Laura. I've been I've I've been playing a, a fair amount of it. I mean, yeah, not me a too. ton. I'm I'm into sort of the third chapter of what seems like probably two x that number of chapters. But mm-hmm. um, I kind of want to. I played some Hitman Go and liked it a lot, and then <clears throat> but I I gave up on Hitman Go pretty quick actually because I found it hard. And also, even though I really enjoyed that game, sort of for what it was doing, I I found it. Like, so sterile that I was actually put off from it, even mm. though I respected it a lot. Whereas, mm. like, because Hitman Go, it looks like, it kind of, like, plays as if it's looking like a sort of mid-century, like, 1950s, 60s, really yeah, sleek modernist does, yeah. board game. But what it actually is, is, like, creepy, sanitized architectural mock-ups of people's houses that you're kind of planning (laughs) attacks in. So it ends up having this weird, very creepy, sterile feeling, which I like a lot. Which is Uh, actually, to be fair, really Hitman. 
I mean, yeah, Hitman, it is. Hitman actually, it is, yeah. it is evocative of what mm. Hitman is, which is yeah. like, I mean, this really clean house about to splatter somebody's brains right, all it, over their but, stupid yeah. clean carpet. In Hitman Go, it kind of, it kind of, <laughs> it kind of plays with that. Hitman Go almost feels like if there was a television show of Hitman. Yeah. Hitman Go is exactly, the high concept yep. idea that would be the opening credits where yep. there's sort of like yeah, a mid-century totally board does. piece mm. that yeah, then just yeah. goes and like whimsically <clears throat> knocks over yep. the like, guard. Oh my God, yeah. Dexter or something. Yeah, yeah. But... The, 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 you know, and, and Hitman Go, it, it awards you challenges like you did, you managed to do it without killing anyone, or you managed to kill everyone, or you did it in X, you, you got to the goal in X number of turns, and all these things. It's very, very, very clean, very methodically thought out puzzle game. Um, Lara Croft Go has the same, like, basic trappings. You, you play as Lara Croft, you're, uh, the game takes place from that same kind of isometric view, but still actually in 3D, so there's a little bit of perspective, and it's very showy visually. But it kind of just presents like you took an actual Tomb Raider tomb or like jungle environment and then quantized it down to a series of nodes. Yeah. So it pl- it's it doesn't try to... Uh, present itself as like an aesthetic representation of Tomb Raider. Like Lara Croft is rendered with really detailed and fluid animation. If you try to go in a direction, the board game doesn't support She sort of starts and backs up the way that like you approaching a cliff edge in a really high fidelity game would work. And like, it's incredibly well lit. You go in and out of actual like caverns and old tombs and into jungles and stuff. Um, and it was actually kind of, it was a little bit off-putting to me at the beginning because I really liked the way that Hitman Go abstracted stuff. Like, the beginning of, of Lara Croft Go is in a tomb and it feels almost like a AAA studio's interpretation of Monument Valley or something almost, mm. where you're sort of sliding along this isometric space. You're just, it's, you're inside this cavern. It's lit by a torch. It's, like, really aesthetically strong. And then you pop out into a jungle and then the first thing that she does, it, there's an enemy of like an idling, just coiled up snake. And when you yeah. move on to the snake thing, she just goes, pulls out a pistol yeah. and fucking headshots you, a Jesus. snake. punk so oh many God. fucking snakes in this game. Yeah. <laughs> no. This game should be called Lara Croft snake murder it should be called lara croft go kill snakes <laughs> yeah you kill so many snakes thing- i have never killed so many snakes <laughs> you probably actually well, killed a shitload of snakes in tomb raider not this many not snakes. this many snakes there's a lot of and in up in the up in the up game and it actually don't forget that up game i had a sort of i had it's an like arc need an old man to kill snakes you do no, yeah, yeah, yeah laura yeah. you just in this one just you have a fucking pistol um <laughs> it actually it really put me off for a minute because i was i got so into this I sort know, of just too. i'm traversing the cave and like mm. you there's <clears throat> like if you go if you move to well, a couple nodes like the, the rock starts breaking from under you on a loose tile then you have to go back around and you'll yeah. drop but the the thing is I think that at the the end of the day, what's actually going on is it's just a way slower ramp up to what is good about this game than Hitman Go was. Hitman Go was like fucking clockwork, the way that it ramps up its difficulty, whereas Lara Croft, I think they wanted to seat you in the atmosphere and they wanted to do all these things. But eventually you get to the place where there's turn-based enemies that have predictable patterns where there are some that are on patrol. There are enemies that will, if if you aggro them by getting within a tile of them, they'll follow you around. So then you can use the traps and stuff to, to make them sort of be their own undoing or get them to walk into the path of the other creatures and they'll attack each other. And, you know, and there's like, like saw blades that have patrol patterns that you can slot around kind of like monument Valley where you can change the, yeah. or the mm. position of stuff on the board. And even though, 
I sort of like intellectually enjoy the purity of Hitman Go. I'm enjoy. I'm probably liking playing Lara Croft Go more, and now that I'm into the levels that have enough sort of figurative and literal moving parts, that it really does like. I it doesn't have the like turn the world isometric thing that Monument Valley had, but it's. I feel like I'm in that space where I'm. There's a just a puzzle with a shitload of moving parts inside of it, and every time you move, the world reacts, uh, and just it it has more of that clockwork feel to it. Whereas yeah. Hitman Go felt more like you were like trying to stare at the board and then just yeah. mastermind mm. be five moves ahead of everything so you could just go boom, 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 boom and create your Hitman montage. Mm. This feels yeah. more like you're exploring the space and sort of poking and prodding at the world and seeing how it reacts. And I'm glad that I was that I stuck with it enough that that difference hit for me. Also, it just does look very, very nice for it a mobile really game. Pretty. It's really I, pretty. Yeah, yeah. I agree with everything I don't, you say. Is that, is that your take at all on this thing? Yeah, for sure. I also, yes, I, I, I agree. I think it's it's interesting. I mean, I um, was probably less bothered, I guess, by the sort of austerity of Hitman Go. Um, but I, I don't think that I was bothered by it. But I just never got like I was unable yeah, to sort sure. of just yes. pour myself into I, that game. Yes. I like the kineticism of this game more um, in a way that feels nicely taken from the Tomb Raider games that do that well. Uh, and it the difference in tone between the two really makes them seem even more to me like board games than before. Not in that's not in the sense that they play any more like board games, but in the way that so much of a board game is the, um, just sort of like decision that is made to take a certain suite of mechanics and then attach a certain theme and how the exact same mechanics basically in two different contexts can have really different meanings and in some cases be much more effective with an appropriate theme. Yep. These, when, when I started playing, uh, Lara Croft go, I, it felt very different to, to, uh, Hitman mm-hmm. go. And then the more I played it, the more I realized, okay, they're, they're actually using a lot of like very, very similar. The way that sort of enemies mechanics. work and like in Hitman, yeah. you can throw the rock to distract a guard. Yeah, whereas in this, right. you can pick up the, the, spear, the spear that you yeah. can throw. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they're, they're different, but they get more similar as you get more things because they kind of use a few of the same tricks. Yep. Um, even though again, there are, there are mechanical differences, but none, nonetheless, it really made me think, oh man, like they're basically taking the same underlying principle and just slapping a different coat of paint on it and i don't mean that as dismissively as maybe i phrased it right. but like it's cool it's it's actually really cool to say to see wow this is a really really great mobile game approach just like the, the and, sort of their, their rule set and their approach but yeah i think and it feels less shitty than the version of it that is sort of in vogue on the the app store which is the sort of um free to play like hero thing that is happening that everything is now yeah there's no there's no cooldown elements in any of these games or any yeah. of that stuff. But yeah, it is it is cool that even though their their core is so similar and as you said is revealed to be increasingly similar as as more of it sort of is revealed, the way that you sort of experience the world in Hitman Go feels surprisingly like it fires a lot of the same synapses yeah. in your brain that playing Hitman does. Yeah. And I think the same can be said of Lara Croft Go versus Tomb Raider as far as just sort of mm-hmm. Like, in Hitman Go, I, I feel like you have more of an ability to sort of scroll around the map and observe sort of the bigger picture, whereas in, in Lara Croft Go, it's way more about just the immediate area around you, and the only way that you really reveal is by exploring the space and, and making an internal map of the area. Is that true or not? 
Yeah, that is kind of true. And when you phrase it that way, it kind of makes each Go game more similar to the opposite of its console like projector. <laughs> I guess that's true. But I mean, when I when I think of when Which I think of, I don't, when I, don't I think mind. of Hitman games, I end up still thinking about trying to get to a vantage point where I can look down and watch a couple guards go around or sort of hide. Yeah, but you don't get that in advance. Whereas in a two minute and game, it sweeps you around get that the very, space. which is always such a fun moment to see. Yeah, yeah. but I, my my feeling still in the moment of a two minute game is that I'm wandering down yeah, a cavern sure. with a torch. You're trying to get past the next yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. But that's you're true. right though that you're right though that from a totally top level point. Whoops. But shh. I mean, whatever. I think it totally works. Yeah, like, they both emotionally work in the sense that Hitman Go feels very clinical and Tomb Raider and Lara Croft, Lara Croft Go feels very reactive. And in that way they are, yeah, they correctly, it's cool. Kind of grab from their, their, it's really nice cousins. to see. I don't know where Hitman Go came from. It feels like, I don't know the story of that game at all. Like, was that a the development? Was that like game? a, was that like a mandate that you will develop this? Or was no that idea. like, cause yeah. like, I remember hearing that Hearthstone was not like a corporate mandated thing at all. And that was completely the opposite direction of a team was like, this is probably a thing that we should be making. And is a really good idea, even though it flies completely in the face of what our studio makes. And like, you know, that game coming out expanded the breadth of what modern blizzard is doing. And I, I wonder which, on which side of the, of the, that direction, like was that a push or a pull for the sort of what is now the go series of games from, from square Montreal. Someone probably knows. Yeah, I think it's been reported, but I can't. Remember. Yeah, I can't remember either. I'm. Sh- I wonder if that's on the internet. Someone somewhere. in Montreal knows. I think. Yeah. Some. Yeah. Some Canadian. Some of those Canadians <laughs> know. But I'm glad that they are coming out. I mean, I don't know what how many other it's, series of these can exist, but I'm glad that Deus Ex. Yeah, Go, I was just gonna say that. That would actually be. That would be cool. Oh, they're probably um, they're probably scared of making Deus Ex Go. You, you gotta think? be a little bit. Well, cause, I mean, I guess if you start with Hitman, you're you're like you're starting with the the one that is about snooping, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. snooping yeah. and hacking. The track record so far for me personally is strong enough that I would be curious to see what that team does when trying to do when their weird virtual board game label uh, produces a Deus Ex game. I'd be yeah. really curious to see what it is. Yeah. Oh man, it could be man. cool. Yeah, yeah. The mobile game, the Deus Ex mobile game, was actually quite good, believe it or not. On iPad. Really? It wasn't bad. I played the Steam, the PC version of that game, and um, I thought it was kind of a... <laughs> you guys don't agree, are you, is what you're trying to say? Well, okay, I, I, it's been a while, so I, my, my recall isn't as good as I would want it to be. Um, recall.tumblr.com. Uh, but I, <laughs> I remember it being feeling like I want a game of this scope. I just didn't actually think that one was that great. It's kind of how I felt about it. I'm like, I, I, at this point, I felt like I was just kind of going through the motions again and again, mm. but I really, it made me excited for the possibility of people making a triple A style game, but of like severely reduced scope and and kind of like fidelity in a way you that i played liked republic yes yeah that, that's kind of like that yeah yeah, yeah i think that, that, cool. that scratched that itch yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean it came out I, later I, I buy and that yeah thinking about it now i mean i i liked it at the time the deus ex mm-hmm. mobile game um but i haven't played it in three years or sure. whatever it was, yeah, it was uh, but yeah, yeah the camouflage game was pretty good mm-hmm. i liked that a lot yeah anyway you guys want to do some rear mail? mail? Rear mail. Yeah. In spurge. God. Mm. Mm. What? 
Oh, I I bought a hilariously embarrassing uh, game this week. So okay, well, do tell. Do well, I, tell. I haven't really played it yet, so it's it's not. I'll I'll talk about it the next time I'm on. Um, but it's it's uh, this is just a teaser trailer. Yes, please. For a uh, future embarrassing, gross story Can of me spending far too is? much on a board game. Um, so uh, it's called Star Wars Armada. <laughs> Perfect. So here's the thing about this. this. So so I hadn't either. Um, so uh, one of my great um, uh, desires while playing like X-wing, Tie Fighter, like games of that ilk, like Free Space, I always wanted to create levels for that. And mm. I know some of them had level editors, but they were very clunky, and I was too stupid at the time to figure <laughs> them out. Um, and yeah, I, I think they were also just pretty clunky. Um, but I've always wanted to have the ability to create like a level for one of those games. This game is essentially that, except you can just play it on your table, and mm. you, you, it ships with huh. like miniatures. Oh, is this the game are... with the, with the where you measuring tape ships? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's I've all based... heard nothing but good things about that. There's there are no there's no board. Uh, the board is just a space that you define. Um, it's it's a huge space. It's like three by Geometry. three foot by six feet, yeah. and um, and you uh, um, yeah, the core kit comes with like one star destroyer and some tie fighters, and then you know the rebels have whatever. Um, whatever their weird things are <laughs> and then it's all based on measurement um and and momentum like each ship has like a speed setting and momentum and all these things and you play for like so many rounds and you score hits and there are you know fighters that sort of have all these it's kind of it's like kind of a simple great. concept yeah. it's the idea is like it's filling the niche in my mind where i'm like an admiral that has like the little like stick that you can push little pieces <laughs> yeah. around on the board yeah. like that's what my kitchen table looks like right now Who are you except my girlfriend was out of town when i bought this and she came home to my you, kitchen table with if you well i was playing it by myself this, this weekend chris <laughs> if you must if you must know Perfect. however that was the, to learn the rules uh so that i can i can play with janelle my girlfriend who actually wants to play this i don't think she knows what she's getting into though <laughs> because if i lose oh, it's gonna get gross so anyway <laughs> teaser teaser <laughs> for the yes. next there, there are two things that i feel like we have to talk about quickly before we get to reader mail and i know this episode is going long but one chris I hear um, that you are no longer playing Fallout Shelter. Heard that too. And yeah, that's true. Is the what for, was for what, sad, what was what happened for to your base? Sad reason. So when I upgraded my version of iOS, my oh, no. my operating system on my phone, uh, now every time I I launch Fallout Shelter, um, basically I can do whatever. Like no matter what I do, it makes absolutely no difference. I do. You know, assign people to things like, you know, send out uh, explorers, whatever. Doesn't matter. About thirty seconds later, just hard crash to oh. the home screen, and that's it. And if I load it up again, none of my, not even the things I did in that half a minute are saved. It's just back to the same state it was before. So my my base so is locked in a, in a stasis. So I died the a, shittiest death possible. Yeah, yeah, my my base is locked in just the, the shittiest Groundhog Day, uh, and and that's that. So, and I actually have a like a you know what here here's my final what may be what may well be my final Fallout Shelter story, <laughs> um, unless they fix this. Um, Which I kind of hope they don't. I hope that your base <laughs> is perpetually stuck in a thirty second loop. Thanks, Jake. Uh, <laughs> So I what's what was a bummer and I th- I'm pretty sure this is this is complete coincidence. I think I think it was the the operating system update that did it, not the Fallout Shelter update, although I could be wrong about that. But Bethesda released a a big up uh, the you know, the biggest patch to the game yet. 
um, a few days before this happened to me, which included this Mr. Handy floating robot thing that helps by collecting resources from you, which, by the way, makes the game so much easier because you don't have to tap the resources yourself anymore. Like It's crazy how much smoother that makes your base run. Although this is the first element that breaks the like you don't need to spend money to have all the things in the game mm. principle. It's like cost four ninety nine. I think is the, I it's somewhere in that neighborhood, and there's no way to, as far as I can tell, there's no way to acquire it just through the game. So, so did you pay five dollars and then have the game break like three days later? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, what? it was a bummer. Whoops. Uh, I know. Um, the other thing they added was just way more dangerous shit. Just like crazy oh, all shit. The, These yeah, like death claw monsters that can bust into your base way faster than raiders can and just rip the shit out of your dwellers. And then mole rats, which are these like gross little creatures who burrow out of the floor. Not and like then Monty infest- Oh, that's good. So there's other sort of invasion directions that are not just through the front door. Mm. Exactly right. Uh, and so the game, the game is actually considerably harder. And the death claws, um, apparently, uh, as I learned from the little, you know, help text in the loading screen, they are more likely to attack the more you open your base up to send explorers out. So just the, oh, and the more you uh, broadcast radio stations, both of which I do absolutely constantly because as discussed in a previous segment about Fallout Shelter, I, I got myself to a point where I just have a rotating cast of attracting people to the base sending the men right back out again to their deaths. So my door is basically always open and my radio rooms are always broadcasting. So effectively every single time I would load up the game, at least for the sort of almost week before it, it died. Um, I would load it up and probably within about 10 seconds, a death, there would be a death claw attack. It was just, oh God. it was all, all the, not all the time. Like after one happens, you have, you know, peace for a little bit, but pretty much every time I launched the game, it would be immediate. that would happen. Yeah. It was like crazy how frequently it happened. And um, and so at one point I was I was so, you know, that's the scene is set. This is a more dangerous world now in Fallout Shelter. And one of the things about the game is that I generally, I, you know, instead of playing for huge chunks of time at once, I would I would load it up a couple times a day because most of the game for me at this point is this incredibly sort of finicky little process of shuffling around all my little dwellers to make sure they're all um, training themselves in all the optimal places. You know, if sure. every time anyone maxes out a stat, got to make sure they're training in a better, a different room now. So they're, they're maxing out all the correct stats. So the game is, is and that's most effective in little bursts spread apart um, because they, you know, they take hours to, to gain up a, a specific stat. So there's not really any point to continue playing after you've done your little like bi daily shuffle, uh, at least not with my current goals. And the compounding factor there is that this game takes longer to load than any mobile game I've ever played. Mm. Maybe other mobile games take this long also, but I never play mobile games that are this complex just ever. So, um, it, it always feels like it takes a really long time to get into the game just from the home screen. And so once I do, it's like, okay, I want to get all my shit done and then get out. And I don't want to like, if anything interrupts it, you know, if you click back to the home screen for any reason, there's about a 90% chance you're gonna have to go through the entire load screen again, 
uh, to get back into it. And so anyway, so at one point I was playing at home and I think I'd gotten home from work and I loaded up to play. And then, uh, Sarah came, came into the bedroom or, or whatever. And like, we were, you know, brought something up and I'm, and it was, you know, something where I'm like, okay, I'm, I need to obviously like focus on this conversation, but with my, but I'm like, oh, we'll probably be done talking in like 30 seconds. This is probably a quick, quick thing. So I'm not going to quit the game. So with my like left hand or whatever, I just kind of like every few seconds, I just kind of idly swiped at the screen without looking at it just to like make sure that it didn't go, that the phone didn't go to sleep. <laughs> right. So I wouldn't have to like, because as soon as the phone phone goes to sleep, I have, I will like, I will have to load the game back up and wait for like multiple minutes while it fucking loads back in. And then I realized at a certain point, oh fuck, we've been talking for like 15 minutes and I've just been like keeping the game alive by not just the, by like, just like brushing the board screen. security guard like yeah. like homer simpson just asleep yeah. at the controls yes. like just like it uh. was a fucking nightmare oh, when no. i but when i realized like what i had done and i looked back at my base holy shit <laughs> there were like it was a, a, a catastrophe there were fucking mole rats everywhere <laughs> everyone was dead it was crazy <laughs> it was crazy it was the actual apocalypse happened like in a po- post-apocalyptic setting there was another apocalypse and it was in my apocalypse shelter and oh, man. like the th- is nick brecken okay you didn't even think to check. Think, you didn't even think to check. I don't this, think he made it. This is okay. It was not. I couldn't think of like individuals in this circumstance. Was, oh, that's exactly was, what the overseer would say. No, we can't, listen. I know we can't think of individuals. Is my family okay? And I couldn't tell you. No, dude, you don't understand. It doesn't matter. You don't understand. This was, this was a complete massacre. It was nuts. There was probably a single digit number of people left alive. It was crazy. You got it, Dick. It was. Yeah. It was. It was, was crazy. I'm number one. So. The thing that ha- like everyone made it. I spent so long going through and like reviving people and giving them health and like get and every just be fucking miserable. Rooms were scorched. There were fires. Like it. It was nuts. It, and a thing that happens in this game is that when corpses <laughs> fester for a while, oh, no. rats just like appear around them. So my base was just like infested. Just like I mean, they don't do anything other than just be there but it was just rats everywhere it was and then i would realize like even hours later i would zoom in on a little part and realize there were just like five dead people and i hadn't even (laughs) noticed these other like cache of just dead people there were just corpses everywhere (laughs) it was like have you ever had the experience of Hmm. looking at something in like in a in a i don't know maybe in in a house or something and you notice like a little discoloration oh yeah and you look up close and you're like oh that's an insect it's like and then you look closer and there's more and you would like the closer you look the more you realize like i didn't notice the infinite insects because there were so many that they homogenized into just like solid and you just your Mm. brain suddenly is like a wash with just waves of like horror and low level panic that just that and that was what this was like the i just kept seeing more corpses and rats and like just scorch it was crazy like just everywhere i looked there was just a fractal of of death and decay and and <laughs> destruction. Do, do you think that the the crashes are actually just the people in your vault trying to kill themselves for good? <laughs> <They> <laughs> do you think they just want it to stop? They're done. I feel like 
it's your vault like inhabitants some they're yeah, trying they're every time to uninstall the app but they can't <laughs> yeah it's just the the horror movie like sos they're just communicating in any way they can to just end this <laughs> i mean yeah, i said would say screaming fallout citizen yeah. cracks your screen finally <laughs> like, i'm not entirely surprised it all ended in disaster given some of your your practices ruling this <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go that i wouldn't say that the lesson Aww. chris should actually learn is don't pay more attention to Sarah than you do to your shelter. <laughs> what happened? Look at this. Yeah. Oh no! Maybe selfless. the app was the actually jealous. Is, yeah. You know, it's yeah. not for everyone. It's tough. It's a lonely. There's it's no lonely room for existence. love. Yeah, <laughs> Doctor Jones. <laughs> no room for love, Doctor Jones. He says Jones? no time for love. Yeah. Well, he, well, you said it. When he was playing Fallout Shelter, he changed it. That's that's true. Uh, um, the other was, thing I wanted to make you guys talk about before you talk about reader mail. Oh sure, because I, I I want. To make you talk about it uh-huh. is, oh yeah. Um, there was this guy once. Uh, Jesus Christ! The Nick was standing near an airport security. Oh my God! Yeah, and I almost stole his shoes. This. And I'm talking, of course, about Doctor Ian Malcolm. Yep. Yeah, Nick. Uh, on what? What was it? Friday. Friday night. Yeah. Nick and I went to watch. Uh, Jeff Goldblum and the Mildred Snitzer Orchestra. Yes. Which is Jeff Goldblum and a what four piece jazz combo yeah um playing at a um a nightclub a hotel nightclub in in downtown san francisco that was a fascinating experience yeah that was a really <laughs> please interesting do tell. please do yeah. tell i don't know where to start it's exuberant jeff yeah. goldblum played so every jeff goldblum has a jazz band that he that he he plays piano and he leads a jazz band that plays a weekly show in los angeles and he came up to san francisco for a two night engagement where he basically he he just came up himself and just hooked up with three local jazz players on uh guitar uh bass you know standing bass and drums and then a local singer for two for two of the the songs um and so about like 40 percent of the evening was jazz music that's generous That's very generous. And like the other sixty percent was just maximum Goldblum. Yeah, alone what? on stage. With it's him. very not clear. alone on stage. Standing on stage with other musicians, just kind of like sitting there while he just Goldblum the fuck out for two hours. It's, it's very clear that he knows that's why people are there. Yes, it's very clear that the band knows why that's why people are yes. there. It's very clear the band knows what this phenomenon is. Yeah. Like, the band is in on the entire Well, the funny thing is they weren't fucking... even his band. They were just some guys. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, well, but they're still like, oh, Jeff Goldblum wants us knew. to play for two nights? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it was... They, they I'll were play my like, bass for you, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, I don't even. It is. It is difficult to know what to say about yeah. it. I mean, and, you know, and he, here's here's a thing I will say with with respect to like him knowing why everyone was there and the band knowing why everyone was there. Given that he knows what he's doing, like as a, a good jazz show. musician, like he. The thing about jazz is, you know, there are a lot of actors who who pursue singing careers or like are in rock bands and right. stuff, and it's like okay, like even if they do a good job, it's like that's fine, like. A lot of people can do that. Like I'm a rock musician. Like I am not precious about it. It is really not that hard to learn how to strum a guitar and sing some words well enough to not embarrass and embarrass yourself on stage, especially surrounded by other decent musicians. That is not true of leading a jazz band on piano. I mean, like he he is obviously not a like world class jazz pianist, but he is absolutely knows what he's doing. Like 
knows how to integrate with people he hasn't played with before and like really hold his own in a really legit way that is, I think, extremely impressive for someone whose job that isn't. Um, it's really that was really cool to see, uh, which makes it all the more fascinating that most of what he did was just please, what he does. Please describe Goldblumming out. I mean, a little bit. A, a lot of the show of consciousness was him just okay. wandering through the crowd, kind of touching people. Yeah. Occasionally, <laughs> he would he would just sort of rifle off. Yeah, like very stream of consciousness. Like, like he would he would look at somebody and say like, "What's your name?" And, and they would just say like, "I don't know," like you know, Frank. And he would just say like, "Oh, Frank, I once worked with a Frank, uh, uh, Frank, uh, you know, uh, Frank Shlomo no, from 1982. This is what uh, was- this is the movie name. That t- what's the movie? Tell me what the movie title is that, that I was in with him. Somebody, anybody, anybody? And then like, <laughs> true or false? I was in a movie with yeah. uh, Frank <laughs> uh, Robinson, and yeah. uh, the answer is true, of course. And then yeah. It was, the, the fucking spoiler, it's always true. It was it false at once. True. Oh, that's true. It was false once. It was once. false once. Yeah. Uh, oh, he got, he's like going to throw one in there. Times. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he loves true or false. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. It, it, it was, really was a, it like was an, a fascinating an show. evening with the most strange uncle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, just yeah. kind of like. Sounds really good. Yeah, it sounds it was awesome. Really oh, good. if you have the opportunity. Do this again in a moment. If you have the opportunity. We also probably spent. More, he spent probably spent more time at our table yeah. than any other table except for one. Why did yeah. why what was what did drew him to you? Well, so yeah. two different things at so, least. Yeah. One, you all of your drinks were in cold blooms. <laughs> no, there you go. Didn't, I didn't bring a cold bloom. Oh my yeah. god! He would have. I think I was. I didn't ahead of time. The actually the reason I didn't bring a cold bloom, which is which was our like. Our Jeff, Jeff Goldblum themed beer koozie. Um, I didn't bring one actually just because I forgot, not because I was worried about it. Yeah. But I was like ahead of time wondering, like, should I bring one of these? Like, would he appreciate this or not? After In that, retrospect, he fucking would have exploded it. with pleasure. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like he would have, he would have yeah. reared up. I mean, like yeah. he would have. <laughs> so just... one of the one of the reasons he spent time at our table is because he did this thing that I guess his manager prepared for him, yeah. which was throughout the show. He had these quizzes that like some one of the people just in his like, you know, celebrity group of people who do help him with things just sort of took the initiative. And he didn't know this was happening, I guess, just prepared him this like these quizzes on just printed sheets of paper that he that were San Francisco related. So he would say, you know, here's a clue as to this San Francisco themed movie. And then people in the audience would have to shout it out and or whatever. And one of them was... um was uh here's a piece of san francisco themed literature who knows what it is and he started giving a a um, a plot summary and like half a sentence in i knew that it was the crying of lot 49 mm. by thomas pynchon which we actually read on the idol book club which was our our literary podcast that we ran for about a year and uh and it was that was correct and so he came over to our table and you know talked uh, to us about it for for a while, and then that led. You're to, just like, talking about Thomas Pynchon with Jeff Goldblum. Yes. That's amazing. Thomas Pynchon and like the the Inherent Vice movie, and mm. you know, like he and I shared the like that P.T. Anderson is among our favorite directors, and like we just he just like spun off on you know his Fucking like Christ. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> and then the other time he he was hanging out at our table was numerous times throughout the evening. He went off on his like personal credo which is that you what was it nick like you must not 
contest nature. You must not deny nature. You you must respect nature. So he was he basically this, trying like, to tell you life finds, finds a way. way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. he, has, he has this like thing. There's like four things that he repeats about nature. And and part of it is like, you know, he was talking about being on talk shows and how they do makeup and how he doesn't like getting the makeup on talk shows because he doesn't he doesn't think you should try and hide the nature of your face or, you know, or anything. Right. Like he doesn't think people should have weapons. He doesn't think like anything you should be against nature or, or you know, whatever. I mean, it's like a his version of this is very um, <laughs> what it is. But like, yes. but um, uh, so but one of them was like. You know how much he doesn't like he 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 doesn't like to get the makeup on television, and he came over to our table and like was sort of pawing at Janelle and Sarah, being like, "See, you can see very little, very little makeup, very little makeup, very beautiful, very beautiful, very little makeup." As he's like stroking their hair and stuff. Oh my god! It, so that was the other reason that he. Hmm. Was, that's a less. That's a less encouraging. Yeah. He's the goal of appearance. He's very handsy with the women in the. He was very just okay. generally handsy. And not just actually with women, with with men as well, for that matter. But he's a hands-on yeah. kind of dude. Okay. Uh, he's just a very touchy, touchy man. guy. He just has that like constantly walking everywhere, reaching out. Tiny to, imperfections in the skin. Yes, ex- exactly. Um, it was <laughs> it was really an, an an evening. That is incredible. He signed the he so he gave me the the sheet of paper with the crying about forty nine quiz and signed it, and his signature is like. Incomprehensible. Nothing. It's like a <laughs> he quick, just draws a it is line. So ma- no, it is so many lines, but none of them have any connection to each other. <laughs> it was strange. That seems I'm going to frame yeah. this fucking piece of paper because it's hilarious. Oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Good. I'm glad that I asked about that because <laughs> now you guys told me fantastic. some weird shit. Yeah. Um, I probably by asking you about those two things ate a ton of time, but do you want to still do reader mode oh. or do you want to hold it? Sure. I mean, that felt like a reader mail. That was a reader mail from like Jeff Goldblum. Chris and Nick in their own reader mail a little yeah. bit. Yeah. It was good. Um, all right. Oh, here's a, here's a, well, actually here, let's see. Um, I dare you to do a robot news free reader mail, Chris. I don't think we have time. There's like, there is so much robot news this week. And I robots just, have taken over the Idle Thumbs inbox the way they will eventually take over mankind. Yes, exactly. Yes. There's actually a really important reader mail we have to do about Samantha West, the uh, the oh, that's robot Man. telemarketer from last week. There's really good stuff about that, but I it needs time to do it justice. <clears throat> so I, I'm going to have to push that off till next week. Fair. Um, fair. The truth behind Samantha West is both dumb and amazing. Yeah, it is <laughs> both. Like it is. It is seems like a letdown, but it is so much. So it, it actually is so much better okay, than, than anything. Yeah, next week. Uh, all Teaser. right. Yeah. So um, Nicholas Horowitz writes, Hey, Thumbs, your conversation about Chris misunderstanding the context of George H.W. Bush's read my lips moment <laughs> reminded me of my own strange early 90s political misunderstanding. I distinctly remember sometime around 1992 that I came across something described as gory, and I asked my mom what it meant. She told me, it's like something that's scary because it's covered in blood and guts. Flash, f- flash forward a few months and I hear my parents talk about how they want Clinton and Gore for president. It never occurred to me that Gore could be someone's last name. I had no context for who Al Gore was. I had a legitimate mental image that Bill Clinton's running mate was a blood and guts covered zombie man. And I could not imagine why my parents would thought <laughs> think such a person would be good to vote for. As it turns out, Al Gore was not a monster. But even after I discovered this, I could not separate his last name from that mental image. Thanks for the hours of entertainment. Keep casting those pods, Nick. That's really good. Mm-hmm. 
Michael Reniker uh, writes about in about Hacknet, which I talked about a couple weeks ago. I brought up some of the sort of weird, unsavory like chat logs in it, and he writes the majority of the IRC chat logs in Hacknet are actually quotes of the top 100 or so from Bash.org, which is basically a collection of funny or maybe quote funny uh, snippets <laughs> from IRC. As someone who used to read Bash.org over a decade ago and have not thought of it in years, it felt like a nostalgic throwback to me. Uh, Michael Reniker. But that's that's a good yeah. um, thing to point out. Um, Dan William, Daniel Williams writes, "Hey, Dan Williams from Boston here. I was listening to the podcast, and the discussion of parents naming their kids Turok reminded me of another quote original name. The Phil Collins song Susudio is about some woman he wants to bang or whatever. I don't know, <laughs> but I remember reading years ago that the reason he made up that name is so it would represent any female. What a creep! So I went to look it up on one of those people search sites, and sure enough." There are there are women named Susudio who were only born after that song was written. Aww. So there's that. Thanks and keep up the great casting. Go um, Red Sox. Ah, people. And uh, Olivia B. writes, Hi, Thumbs. I've been listening to your podcast for the last 20 to 30 episodes. I've had bad auditory processing problems since I was a kid, meaning I find recognizing voices pretty difficult. This has put me off podcasts in general for a long time since I haven't been able to put voices to names and I often drift off halfway through. However, my boyfriend loves podcasts and yours in particular and kept playing Idle Thumbs when I was around. I really liked what I heard, so I gave it a shot. Obviously, it was easier for me to remember who Danielle was, and it was nice when Spaff joined the cast because of his accent. But keeping track of Chris, Sean, Jake, and Nick is very difficult. I'd often listen intently at the beginning when you'd introduce yourselves, determined to figure it out, but I'd forget again after 15 minutes. Last episode, it all finally clicked. Maybe because Sean had been gone for a while, but I suddenly noticed the difference between Chris's and Sean's voices, and then going back to earlier episodes, Nick became much more distinctive, too. Proof that perseverance pays off. Only I am indistinct. Uh, well, I'm Jake Rodkin, by the way. There's a payoff coming up. Oh. I'm really glad I kept up with the podcast, even though the episodes which to my ears mainly consisted of one man having an intense two- or three-way debate with himself over city skyline. <laughs> <laughs> You've informed me about a lot of great, great games I never would have heard of and have provided hours of entertainment. I realize this email is kind of insulting and boring, but I wanted to share my breakthrough with you. Thanks, Olivia. P.S. Fuck, I just realized Jake was in the last episode and I didn't even notice. I will keep you updated when I figure out who the hell he is. And God. then... And then one day later, hi again, listening to this week's podcast, I got Jake. Sorry for missing you for the first time. <laughs> Admittedly, last week I should be reasonably easy to discern because I'm the person who sounds like he's this, screaming this from another room. Called, so this <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that. I was like, oh, this is Oh, that's pretty week. good. Yeah. Here's the last email. Um, this I sent in to us because I wanted to remember to not forget about it. Uh I don't think we ever talked about this, but this was a thing that happened months ago. Uh, Is this all the email you wrote in? I'm just – I wrote an email just to remind Oh, I thought myself. you were like, dear Chris, uh, I don't think we talked about this. <laughs> no. I just I just saw a thing on the internet and it cracked me up and I emailed it to questions. I just emailed a link to questions at idlethumbs.net and now I am remembering to talk about it. Um, I'm pretty sure we never talked about this. Someone can remind me if I'm wrong about this, but I don't think we did. Um, you guys remember the whole Sony hack with all the emails that, oh, that yeah. came out? Yeah. There was an incredible email that we never mentioned that is video game related, uh, written by Dick Sano, senior vice president of Sony Pictures Releasing International. He writes, Sonic dash the hedge dog. No! <laughs> the space hedge space dog. Sonic the hedge dog. Dear all. Hannah Miguela just called to give me an early heads up that a very popular video game for years from Sega game maker named Sonic the Hedgehog <laughs> will be made into a live action film. <laughs> Script is not completed, but it would be financed 50-50 by SPE and Sega. Um, blah, blah, blah. 
According to Hannah, the release date in the U.S. will hopefully be in 2016. I hope this would be another franchise just like Resident Evil for our Japanese market. Sincerely, Dick. And then there's all these other these other emails from executives being like, can you please forward me information about this Sonic Dash the Hedgehog character? I would like to, to get up to speed on this. Really I hope that I mean as much as I as much as I kind of hope that this person is so out of control that they don't know what Sonic the Hedgehog is. It seems like that's got to just be a really bad autocorrect that they somehow didn't catch twice because they wrote that email while driving. <laughs> the, the other good thing about but this... Then, but then hopefully everyone else didn't, had no idea what was going on. There are other emails that are related. Apparently there's a different movie that Sony optioned about, like, that I guess is a dramatization of I the 90s, um, the 1990s competition between Sony and Nintendo. Oh. Like, yeah. a, I sort of, like, you know probably lightly fictional or maybe heavily fictionalized a like console wars story. thing yes yeah. exactly and then there's other like emails from worried executives who are going back and forth and like worrying that like the hedge dog executives <laughs> are gonna like stomp on the nintendo versus sony executives because there's a beat in the sony versus nintendo movie sony Okay, Sega I thought you said Sega versus. Nintendo. Oh, sorry, it is Sega versus Nintendo. Yeah. I don't know why yeah. I said Sony. Sega versus. There, there's like the creation of Sonic the Hedgehog is like a moment in that movie. So like, I'm very concerned that this other movie is going to compete with this movie, and it's just like fucking executive dick measuring in a really good, <laughs> stupid way. Uh, oh, that Hedgehog. Yeah, there were fears that Console Wars and a Hedgehog would compete with each other and cannibalize the... Console Wars and Hedgehog is yeah. also a leading console IP. <laughs> like, oh my god. It's a rare platformer. Yep. Hey, there you go. Lots of googly eyes. <laughs> so, um, I, oh, I so really good. enjoyed reading through all these stupid emails. Oh, it's really good. This has yeah. been an amazing podcast. Truly, yeah. truly a good one. A good True one. or false? <laughs> <laughs> it's false. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, uh, this episode of Idle Thumbs was brought to you by Cody. K o d i e dot me. Cody dot me. Uh, Cody is apparently a tiny bearded man who would like to help you with two D and three D. Animation, character modeling, character rigging, art, design, and illustration. You can go to Cody.me, that's K-O-D-I-E dot me, and look at his portfolio. He works on games, cartoons, movies, uh, paintings, all kinds of things. He is an all-purpose illustrator and animator. And uh, if you go to Cody.me, you can see all the stuff he has. And use the code. <laughs> he says you can use the code video games to discuss computer games with Cody. <laughs> me. So go ahead and do that. Nice. Yep. What's that URL one more time? Sorry. It is Cody.me. That's K O D I E dot me. Sweet. Mm -hmm. Nice. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider rating us uh, on iTunes. It is very helpful. It is one of the ways that people find out about the show. If you think someone might like it, who you know, uh, tell them. Let them know that we exist. You can find us at idlethumbspodcast.com. We're part of the Idle Thumbs Network, which includes a number of other shows, including our newest show, Esports Today, which is a great, very listenable esports podcast hosted by Rob Zachney and Andrew, and, uh, Andrew Gruen. I'm talking about everything that's happening in pro and competitive gaming over the last week. You can find that at esports.today. 
podcasts? On all of our podcasts at I, idlethumbs.net. Truly. Mm-hmm. You can also find it at idlethumbs.computer if you have taste. <laughs> True. <laughs> and I believe idlethumbs.cool. Oh, yeah. Anything you could ever want. Yep. <laughs> what you want when you need it, idlethumbs.cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye, Nick. Bye, Nick. Bye, Nick.